Today on the show, we're talking about rethinking the status quo. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Trevor. And uh, thank you so much for being here with us today as we talk about rethinking the status quo from a financial, personal financial perspective. Rethinking the, the status quo, I think, is is critical for younger the younger demographics coming of age. Uh, a lot of times, their vision of their personal financial life is really, it, it shouldn't be, but it often is the generation before them. And I, I think that is so dangerous. So the status quo for the millennials is basically what they grew up watching, their parents. And I'm going to say that is not necessarily going to work for them. So they may be trying to follow in the footsteps of the generation before them and it may or may not work out for them. And Trevor, you always say that. I mean, even let's look at the at the at the, the housing market. The conditions for 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 me and and anyone my age is 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 not even remotely close to to what you were looking at when you were in the housing market, um, back when back when you were my age. In so in the article we're covering, one of them is housing, but it is a completely different landscape. So I'll just talk about this now. So just say. I'm giving advice to my children. I'm saying, you know, you got to buy a house. It's the it's the greatest wealth building tool on the planet. And for my generation, maybe it was. The house prices have gone up at a faster rate than inflation over my lifetime of owning a home. So I would think it's a great wealth building tool. Well, what if we are at the very peak of the housing market? Like, well, what if there is a housing correction on the horizon? If I said to my children, you got to buy a house and you got to buy it sooner rather than later. It's going to make you, it's your greatest wealth building tool. And then the market crashes. I would have gave them horrible advice. And I think, yes, while previous generations are a huge factor in really influencing um, others' decisions, I think a massive kind of contributing factor to to kind of following what what the masses are doing is the media um, to maybe celebrities uh, and which in all of that is more accessible due to um, social media. I mean, now we kind of are exposed to these lives that maybe that these individuals are making maybe more money than us and are more kind of financially well off than than we are. And and we try to, to live this life that we see portrayed. Because I think it's easy to forget. I and again, we I, we've definitely talked this on previous episodes, but we don't realize how how subconsciously affected we are. I mean, we see these smiling faces, we see the, these these images of of people with with their possessions and 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 what they have quote unquote earned, but you don't see kind of the backstory there. You don't see the the debt. You don't see the the financial stress. You don't see the worry. You don't see that. So, Trevor, I do want to kind of dive into today's article, which, again, is is a phenomenally, phenomenally written article. It is by um, an individual named John Gorey. It's from our probably our favorite website, the simple simple dollar dot com. It is an American um, situated website, but all the concepts, again, the behavioral based concepts are still completely relevant and applicable to our Canadian space. So Trevor, I want to, I want to draw one kind of quote that John Gorey starts off this article with, and it is an old saying that, uh, his parents, and I'm sure a lot of parents say to their kids or, or that you just hear floating around. And it's, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you? And this is what his parents said to him when he saw his friends with, with things that he want with, with things. And, and he's wondering, well, 
why can't I have these things? And his parents used to say that to him. Well, you know, the status quo is really what the, the masses are doing right now. So a common vehicle on the road right now is a, one of these four-door full-size pickup trucks. That is a common vehicle on the road. And, and they're, they're, I'm going to say, everyone who's listening to this podcast, I think they're outrageously expensive. And people are driving these trucks around like they would drive a car. So meaning a car would, would meet their transportation needs, but they've chosen to drive a, a large, expensive truck that probably burns lots of, lot, a lot more gas. And they're driving it like a car. So that is the status quo in our transportation world at the moment. And I, I would challenge our listeners to, to not follow the status quo. If everybody's buying these trucks, they're, they turn, they're actually, if you follow the masses, you are following the demand. So the things that are in demand tend to be higher in price. So um, manufacturers and marketing people know this, so they know they can charge a premium for what all the masses are doing. Now, I'm guilty of this, my iPhone thing, but you know, I don't buy the latest iPhone. I buy, if the iPhone 10 is out, I'm buying the iPhone 7. You know, I'm buying two models older because if you can stay away from the latest and greatest trends, that, that is where a lot of the cost lies. And it's, it's, I did the whole overall concept of it is just, it's a little bit mind boggling that again, we are, we're only buying that truck to use that example because, because everyone else is into it. If everyone else is, it must be a really good idea. A lot of people, they just are on autopilot. They're either following, and I'm going to rant here, (laughs) following the masses or following the generation before you means you're not thinking for yourself. You're just doing what you think you're supposed to do. You're you're spending money on things you think society thinks you should have. And and why do you why do you think that happens? I mean, why why when when some it's when personal finance is something that we should take complete ownership of because it's our personal finances. Why do you think we we give we give up that control to to others and and society as a whole? It's in the fear of being wrong. I mean, this is why people are doing it. If you do what the masses are doing, you're going to say, you know, I must, I can't be too wrong. If, if everyone's buying these trucks and I end up buying a small car and it doesn't meet my needs, I'll be mad at myself. If I buy in excess of my current needs, my chances of being wrong are reduced, but it comes at a cost. And I, I, I really like that point right there, the, the point of, of constantly buying in, in excess because then... I mean, and that that goes across everything. It goes towards RVs that we may buy. We always buy the biggest just in case we, just to have enough space or even homes. Well, let's buy just one more bedroom just in case. And, and even it goes with the quality of things we purchase as well. If we're looking at the dollar figure of an item, we always say, let's buy the best blender just, just so it will work. And, and Or even, I even bought a fan, one a little tiny example here, but I bought, I bought kind of, I didn't buy, I almost bought the most expensive fan because I wanted it to, to to, to do a really good job. And it, it, so I think it's so easy to get caught up in that kind of, we don't want to get disappointed with our purchase. Well, I have always, I, I've sort of made a rule for myself, never with technology, always buy for your current needs. And whenever I have not, you know, lived by that rule and I, I've bought in anticipation of my future needs as it comes to technology, I've always regretted it. And I'm going to give an example. So I bought a MacBook Pro in anticipation of things I might want to do with this podcast. And I, I, I have way more computer than I need. 
and I, I know it. I know it now. But, you know, I was afraid of being wrong and saying, oh, I, I didn't buy enough computer for, for what I want to do. And it ended up, I didn't want it to be the limiting factor in what I could do with this podcast. Well, now that I'm into it and I realize how little computing power you actually need to do this, I way overspent on, on a computer for this. So I, that that's a prime example. If You should always, 99% of the time, you should buy for your current needs. My two questions, my first one is, and I, I'm sure maybe some listeners are wondering this right now, but if you, so a MacBook Pro is not a an inexpensive, it, it's, it's, it's an expensive investment. You know, there's a lot of money that goes up front into buying this MacBook. So I, I mean, if I'm a listener right now, I'm wondering, but Trevor, if I'm already putting in X amount of dollars into this MacBook Pro, should I not just go, or if I was going to get a MacBook Air, should I not just invest X more dollars to get that MacBook Pro because I'm already investing this much, do- this many as much money into a product why not why not just a little bit more instead of down the road when you got a macbook air realized it wasn't going to meet your needs and then you needed to invest double that and a little bit more to get your macbook pro well if you did this in every aspect of your life you would be you'd be broke right you you can't you can't apply that logic to everything you do so i love to just set a rule and live by it in in all aspects of my life it it kind of it's hard to to apply one philosophy to one aspect of my life and a different philosophy to the other. If you, I think it's good if you can because you, you're probably going to make better decisions. But if you buy the car that meets your current transportation needs, technology that meets your current technology needs, a house that meets your current housing needs, if, if you go with that philosophy, what happens? You end up working with what you have. That, that's, that's what ends up happening. You end up working with the tools in front of you and making it work you become resourceful true and it be we are creatures we are creatures of adaptation we we are good we're, we're we can do that and i think i think you're right we should we should really maximize on our ability to 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 be able to adapt and be able to work with a situation we have instead of feel sad or sorry for ourselves that we didn't we didn't pick a, a different option um my second question though is how many i mean so right now you, I'm sure you're very happy with your MacBook Pro, but have and have you made that kind of overestimating your needs decision in the past? I mean, isn't it isn't it kind of trial and error at some level that you you? I mean, I I know we're looking at big purchases if we look at a home or a car, but are you allowed to kind of is it normal or expected to make kind of a few of those overestimations, or should you always always err on the side of caution? It depends what erring on the side of caution is. If you're erring on the side of caution of buying more than you need, that that's a cautious, you know, you don't want to do that. Or you're saying, are you erring on the credit side of caution by buying more than you need so you won't regret it? I, I meant erring on the side of caution of 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 getting a little bit less than a little bit less, kind of to meet your current needs. I guess. I think you will ninety percent of the time you'll be resourceful and you'll figure out a way to work with what you have, and, and I think you end up. Uh, you know, developing a personal toolkit to to maybe navigate life even better because you you've had to be resourceful. I like that. I and just kind of like just for our listeners' sake, is there any kind of big purchase you made? I mean, a MacBook is a big purchase, but have you made this this kind of overestimating your needs and and just kind of going with what society says you should have for kind of bigger, large scale items? I, so I bought a table saw. So, and if anyone knows it cuts wood, I don't know, everybody might not know what the table size, but I bought a table saw and I bought a cheap one. 
and it, it, it didn't have the capacity or accuracy I needed for the things I wanted to do. And so I ended up having to sell that and buy, a, you know, a, upgrade it. And it, it turns out I was able to sell it to a friend who, who needed just that kind of table saw. And I've, obviously I lost money on it. But looking back, I, I kind of knew this wasn't going to meet my needs, but I was kind of going cheap on it. Had I not had this friend who, who also who needed a table saw, I probably would have worked with it and become resourceful. But in that kind of example, I mean, if life is fluid and, and it did, that did end up working out for you, 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 it kind of, it was kind of meant to be that you were able to sell, sell this to a friend at a kind of a reduced price. Like I think that that really is the ultimate outcome. But you know, when you look back at any situation, it always tends to work out because if it didn't work out in some way, some shape or form, you would just be angry and mad, right? So it came to a resolution of some kind and we can stand back and say it worked out because a resolution was found. I ended up losing money on it. So did it work out? It probably didn't. True. But again, I think that example maybe is very powerful because it kind of proved to you that, you know what, if you do get the wrong, a kind of something that isn't enough for you, it's not the end of the world to have to upgrade. Yeah, you can always sell this thing and recoup some of your losses and, and move on, right? You you just can't, you know, brood about it and, 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 and stew over your bad decisions. So I want to go on through this article and, and talk about the concept of normal, quote unquote normal. And again, this this whole art, this, this episode is kind of centered around the concept of wanting to desperately wanting to fit in and and be normal and we are going to go on to talk about um eight quote-unquote normal behaviors that uh that we do that are actually costing us an immense amount of money every year so trevor under this kind of normal mentality um this these are american stats but i i can assume they maybe translate over to canadian uh canadian stats uh in the same light but um in 2017 nearly half of americans carried a credit card balance for two years or more um, therefore paying a heavy price in interest um and then total credit card debt in america now tops one trillion dollars which is an all-time high it's it that's alarming that that we have credit card debt kind of I mean, I, I guess whether there's a lot of it, but it over, hanging over our heads for two, for two plus years. You know, that you go back to the thing of normal. This is what causes these kind of, this consumer debt is everyone's trying to be normal. And normal is this unattainable plateau that everyone's striving for. And if everyone stand back and just, none of us are the same. You're, you'd be hard pressed to find two people have the identical situation. I mean, you could be in a house you know, a family of four living in a house and right next door is another family of four living in the house. And you two, those two families couldn't be more different in the jobs the parents have, the activities their, their, their kids are in, their, the personalities of all the people in the house and their wants and desires. Their normal is not a thing. There is no such thing as normal. And everyone's striving to be like everybody else is where uh, everything goes off the rails. You have to look at yourself as, an, as a unique individual and your family as a, a bunch of unique individuals. And and you should strive to be unique and individual and, and to be your own person, not, not to fit some societal mold because that is where the danger lies. If, if more people 
really did all they could to be different and unique and stand out. I think our society would be better because of it. And I think if we did that, I mean, we could, I think we're always going to innately derive inspiration from others. And I think, I think that's where the movement of the minimalists and um, another, uh, the minimal millennials are another, I'm a massive fan of them as well. And they're a young individual my age. And I think when you do see individuals living these kind of unique and, and quote unquote, not normal as in unique lives, I think that's really inspiring. And if, if you're right, Trevor, if everyone kind of lived these, uh, a life that's uniquely your own, we would have as, as our own individual, uh, millions of different, a uh, different kind of sources of inspiration where we could turn to and, and really admire what these individuals are doing. I think a lot of people are, uh, they're, they live in fear of being judged by society and being judged, you know, uh, on, on all the wrong metrics, all the, all the wrong, being judged on things that are not even important to them, but by knowing that this is what society judges people on. And I think if we can move away from that mindset and it starts with, with you not, you know, not caring that you're being judged or, or being oblivious to the fact that people might be judging you based on your accomplishments or the things that you decide are important to you. If you can move away from that, I think the status quo is is no longer a thing. And the thing is too, and we we've talked about this on the podcast, but I think the there's kind of a level of of confidence in 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 your kind of your saving abilities because you can't see that you can't see that people can't see that you, Trevor, do do not carry any 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 financial debt. They they see yes, your 14 year old car in the parking lot, but they can't see that that you you don't have any debt and i'm sure and maybe correct me if i'm wrong but has that taken kind of how has that formed that kind of confidence around not not really caring about what other people think about how you outwardly portray yourself well my desire to retire at age 55 is is just not something people do right it's just not a common occurrence i I only know of two other people that have retired at the age of 55 personally. I've heard of other people, but I personally know, only know two other people. And if if I want something that society doesn't want as a rule, then I have to be willing to do something that society doesn't really value or, or do as a rule. So if you want something nobody else has, you're going to have to do stuff that nobody else does. There's another really kind of interesting point before we head into kind of the eight uh, eight normal behaviors we should rethink, and these are quote unquote normal behaviors. Uh, it says here though that we are we're not hitting our retirement savings goals like we used to in, for, in from around the 1950s to the early 1990s. We are living beyond our means more and more. Has has have you seen this this kind of trend happening? Do you feel that from when you were a child to kind of now that this is kind of accurately we are living more kind of inflated lifestyles? Well, I, I think I, I don't agree with the statement in this article. In the time frame that that they said people were saving retirement, that in that time frame most people had what I call traditional pension plans at at their work. And they didn't have to save for retirement. So I just think the retirement savings goals have have, have increased because a lot of people don't have p- pensions that they're going to retire on. That's a fabulous point. I, I That's definitely, definitely the contributing factor. So Trevor, I want to get into our eight points here. And so point number one on rethinking. So rethinking this first behavior, having the nice car. 
yeah, so anybody who listens to this podcast on a regular basis know how knows how I feel about cars. They're, they're, anything with wheels tends to go down in value, and you should not have very much money invested in it. I, I hate rules of thumb, so trying to saying this is how much you should have in a car for every person is wrong. I, I, for me personally, a car is nothing more than a mode of transportation. It gets me, if it gets me from point A to point B, it served its purpose. The fact that it's shiny and luxurious adds zero value to my trip. So I get nothing out of that. But I get that there is people that do. And I, I just, if, if a car is really important to you, make sure it's important to you for the, all the right reasons. And it's not to have a nicer car than all the people around you, or it's not to keep up with all the people that have nice cars around you. Make sure that this is something that truly brings you happiness in your life because the amount of money you're going to have to invest to, to always be in a nice car is is astronomical. And make sure that this is more important to you than, say, early retirement or or financial independence. Not saying you, maybe you could have both, but it's, it's highly unlikely if you have a really nice car your entire life uh, you know, a fairly current car, it, you've probably, you have to take it from other some other aspect of your life. So if if that's important to you, it just make sure that you're doing it because it makes, it, it brings you a lot of joy. Going back to your, to your point about how uh, a car depreciates has so much when, when you first buy it, there's a, there's a, a really great stat in here that says, uh, the new average new card appreciates 35% in its first three years. So it, it then goes on to say if you buy a three-year-old car, you're, it still has plenty of life in it because you do see, I mean, Trevor, your car is 14 years old. It is still, yeah, it's it's it's, it's chugging along. It, it may be getting old now, but uh, that, that kind of three-year difference or even the used car difference if it's five six years is still going to be a, a, a decent car has wheels it's going to get you to where you need to go so here's some quick audio math <laughs> it never works well with audio but uh, this, this is this is a formula i've used is i th- i have a theory that you could buy a three-year-old used car if you really shop around and get a good deal on it you could drive drive it for five years so, so now it's eight years old sell it for a nominal amount back, it's eight years old. Buy another three-year-old car, drive it for five years and sell it for a nominal amount. So now you've had 10 years of driving and I, my math says you'll have spent less than if you would have bought that same car brand new and drove it for 10 years. Rather than say less, let's say you will have spent the same amount of money in, in cars over that 10-year period. But you, you didn't have to look after, you were only keeping this car for five years. So how, how much care and maintenance did you actually have to put into it knowing it only has to last me five years? So I, I haven't got any, I'm not throwing any numbers out because it, it doesn't work well over audio. But it just rough cut, that, that's that been working for me. So I, I the depreciation at three years, it's a real thing. And I, I just, I can't say enough about used cars. You know, all the points we're going to cover in this article, they, they are individual show topics without question. And we, we have got a, a show coming up on used cars and it's going to be a, like a roundtable show we're going to do with a couple of guests coming on. And uh, I am so passionate about used cars. I, so the next point here in our list is, um, and again, this is uh, one of the second uh, point, normal behaviors we should rethink, and it's carrying a credit card balance. In my world, credit cards are a, 
a form of payment like cash or debit or credit card. If you need credit for whatever reason, it, obviously if you're if you don't have enough money for whatever, there's cheaper ways to get credit than through a credit card. Take a, I don't recommend any of this, but you could you could apply for a loan, personal loan from your bank. You could take a home equity line of credit against your home. There's ways to get money, borrow money that are far less expensive than a, a credit card. I, I can't comprehend why you'd want to pay the interest rates associated with credit cards when when you could get credit cheaper. It just it doesn't reason check. So I wanna I wanna kind of expand on that. I mean, and talk about when you do need when you do need credit. And we kind of touched on this in a previous episode when we're talking of, when we talked about if kind of if surprise expenses come up is that is that a is that a good time to use use credit and i mean this article t- too kind of says says no that we should again be be putting money aside for and building emergency funds so that we don't need to turn to our credit card because i think that is kind of another normalized topic is that we put less emphasis on building that emergency fund and and we just rely on our credit card as that emergency fund well and we did it we did an episode on emergency funds and how important they are and if you're using a credit card as your emergency fund, it's just a matter of time before this blows up because it's just, when you start stacking Murphy's Law on top of Murphy's Law, meaning if something could go wrong, it will go wrong, you get a couple of those stacked on top of each other, like a transmission in your car, a washing machine, a dishwasher. Uh, you get those stacked up you know, in the same month and it could put a real strain on an emergency fund for sure. But if you're putting those on a credit card, all of a sudden you're carrying a balance because you, you just, you're, you're in no position to, to pay off that much money in one month. So it, it, it's just, if you knew all these, like all these expenses are out there waiting to happen and you just need to be prepared for them. Using a credit card to solve those problems it, it may work once, it may work twice, but eventually it's not going to work. So point number three here on re- our, our normal behavior we should rethink is equating spending with love. So this equates to uh, buying Christmas presents, celebrating anniversaries um, with, with expensive pieces of jewelry or, or uh, trips. And it also equates to a really interesting phenomenon that I was I wasn't aware of, but that the idea of the diamond engagement ring, how it really, I mean, it really became a, a phenomenon because of, because someone put, created kind of this demand for, for diamond rings by, by putting a price tag on it and, and making it the status symbol. So I found that, re- I found that really fascinating and just the whole idea of, of when we stop about it, stop and think about it, how much money we do spend on on equating equating gifts and experiences with love. So I know a lot of families, they have uh, come up with things that, that are ingenious ways to deal with Christmas and, and gifts. And, you know, a lot of times they'll draw names and you only have to buy a gift for one person and you're only going to receive one gift. And I think that works well. Uh, my family, what we, is anyone under the age of 18 receives a gift from everybody and once you become an adult, you no longer receive a gift, but you have to give a gift if there's any children left in the family to give gifts to. And there always seems to be. So that that's something that, another strategy that, that works well. I I think 
Christmas is a stressful time of year. If you can take an element of stress out of Christmas and just make it about getting together with family and not the stress of, you know, buying a gift and hoping somebody likes it. Uh, it, it obviously, it saves a lot of money, but I think it saves a lot of stress. So uh, this concept of equating spending with the amount of love you you, you have for somebody, uh, it's it's not our society, but it's marketing that makes you think that. I mean, if you watch commercials, that's the connection they're trying to create, right? They're trying to put this guilt trip on you that if you're not buying these things for your loved ones, do you really love them at all? You know, that that's the message they're trying to send. And it's, if you stand back and really analyze these commercials, that, that, and so I don't watch a lot of TV, so I don't see a lot of commercials. So when I do see one, particularly at the holiday, the uh, holiday season, I, I'm always blown away with, with the, how they're ma- trying to manipulate people where I, I don't get a, exposed to them a lot. So whenever I do see one, it's, it's mind-blowing, the manipulation they're trying to do. And then what are, what are your thoughts then on celebrating kind of special events? So um, anniversaries and, and other kind of special moments with, with either experiences or gifts. What are, what are, what are your thoughts on that? So one of the things that my family does is we, 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 we don't go out, we don't do a lot of dining out. So we, we save those moments that going out, you know, for a special dinner for special occasions. So when you do, if you went out a couple of times a week to eat out, then when you go out for a special occasion, you have to step it up and go to even a more expensive and fancier restaurant. So if you only went out to eat for special occasions, then a lower end restaurant is going to feel special. So that's, and the the one thing we all kind of share as humans is this need to eat, right? We need to eat to survive. So it's a common thing we kind of all bring together and share a meal. So that's kind of how we deal with special occasions is usually through a, a dinner out. So the next point here on our list is the big wedding. So my theory on weddings is you should never borrow money for a wedding. That's my only rule. So, so I'd say I, I, I've been to a few weddings recently and they were very um, scaled back weddings. You know, they weren't, uh, uh, you know, these 400 people and these grand halls with uh, water fountains. And, and you know, the smaller the wedding, I find you tend to know more people at the wedding and everyone at the wedding genuinely has a connection with the bride and groom. So the smaller the wedding the the connect that you, you there's more of a genuine connection for the for the bride and the groom and everyone is it, it tends everyone tends to be more excited and more emotional about the day and then when I've been at bigger weddings you tend to start mingling with people and you start to realize that there's friends of friends at these weddings who you know they're they really don't know the bride or they don't really know the groom that well you know they they, they know one or the other or they're a friend of the family and they, they're invited by the parents and you get these distant connections and it, it tends to be more of, it feels more like a, a corporate gathering than it does a wedding. So I'm a big fan of a smaller, more intimate wedding. I, I find it's more of a celebration. So the next point on this list, and this is this is like a big one, and we always say is a game changer in our how we do financially, and it's a big house. The two things that will destroy you financially are cars and houses. And people tend to buy more house than they need it's just and they're erring on the side of caution right they they don't want to buy a house and, and decide it's too small have to go through all the expense of selling it and then and, and buying a bigger house well 
if you bought too small of a house, like, so I'm looking back, I'm an empty nester now. And I'm looking back over the course of my life and the time that I needed a really big house for all my kids, it turns out it was a real small window of time. In the whole scheme of things, the time that I needed a lot of space, it was really, you know, maybe a period of 10 years where it really mattered. I mean, when your kids are really small, they don't need a lot of space. And when they get to be teenagers, they're barely home. So the time I needed space, it was incredibly short window of time in the whole scheme of things. And and people will will buy this really large homes in anticipation of a big family that may or may not come to fruition. And they will incur the, the maintenance, the property tax and all the the, the extra cost of renovating and, and doing home improvements on that, a bigger home. So I think if you bought a house a little bit smaller than you think you're going to need when your family is at its biggest, you will manage. I mean, I, I shared a bedroom with my brother and we both survived. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we both grew up, raised families of our own. If you go back to the 1970s and you drive through a subdivision that was built in the 1970s, those houses are like 900, 1200 square feet tops. And, and whole families were raised in these houses. And, and those, those people survived. I mean, they're not all in prison committing crimes and stuff because they, they had an abusive child uh, youth. So I, I think if, and now you drive through a new subdivision and I mean, if you saw a 1200 square foot house, you'd say they're not done building that one yet, right? It's, it's not finished. So I, I think, if people would just buy for their their average housing needs over the course of their life, you would save a bundle. So I kind of have a two-part question now. So part one is when you you, you didn't live uh, in your current home for all of your children's life because you, you said that you moved to the town you're in now when you got a job and brought your family with you. So was that did that house get bigger when you moved? Uh, that's part one of my question. Part two is... Would you have done it differently? Would you have maybe, would you have kind of transitioned to a different home at a specific time then back again? Or, or or would you have stayed there for the extended period of time that you did? So my house did get a little bit bigger. So when my, I, I lived in a, in another town and my, my kids were three and I moved to the house I'm in now and my house got just, just, just a, a little bit, I moved from a two story to a back split. So it, it got a, Square footage, it was the house I'm in is just a little bit bigger than the one I left, but not much. But the housing prices in the town I moved, the house was actually less money. So I actually, I I I bought a slightly bigger house for less money because of the the, the area I moved to. But I could have easily, I, I the bank approved me to buy a much larger home. So I took a lot of comfort in knowing I was only borrowing a fraction of what the bank was willing to loan me. So I, I took a great deal of comfort in that. So I knew I was buying, I, I was probably not buying more house than I needed or I was closer to buying the the, the, the house housing my immediate needs knowing I wasn't taking all the money the bank was loaning. So to kind of add on to kind of the big house phenomenon, the 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 town I grew up in myself, they have, there's this, uh, there's this kind of part of the town. It's just kind of, it's kind of secluded, but and I'm sure every town seems to have this. I, I know even where I live now that kind of there's a section too, but there's that big house section where all the really big, huge, excessive, excessively sized houses are. And you kind of, 
I, I know I always we used to drive through it as kids and and ooh and awe about the amazing sized homes, but it is so there is that that kind of. I mean, I was a young child when we did that, so I think we kind of grow. We've grown up in a culture where I think big houses are again really really idolized. Well, and you have to ask your house, yourself, what is your house? What is the purpose of your house? You know, what what purpose is it going to serve in your life? Is is your house a shelter? Is it somewhere where you're going to go to feel comfortable and safe? Is your house a something like a showpiece, something you want to impress people with or 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 entertain people in? So if those are if if just say you're a chronic entertainer and you you have dinner party after dinner party and any event going on is happening at your house if that's you then maybe your housing needs are different than somebody who who's very, very introverted and they just want to you know sit and read a book so you if if your needs are to entertain and I'm not judging those people I mean if if you are an entertainer and you are a social person and you like and you like to host things and have a lot of people at your house, then by all means, you should have a a big house. Don't deny yourself that that thing you want. So the next point within this list, and we kind of touched on it, is, is eating out. Well, we did and we didn't. So I talked about eating out as a as a form of, of celebration, you know, rather than gift giving. Yeah, and I have a theory on eating. You should never eat out for hunger. You know, that's just poor planning. If you're eating out because you're hungry, you're paying such a premium for food. It's outrageous. And I'm not saying I've never ate out for hunger, but I mean, it should not be the rule. It should be the exception. And eating out, I think, is a great way to celebrate. It brings people together. Like I said before, it's the one common thing us as humans have to do is eat. And what a, what a better way to, to gather and, and share that common experience. But if you're eating out because you, you know, you failed to make a lunch or you, you know, you, you left on a, a trip somewhere and, and, and you didn't plan, you know, you didn't pack a lunch on your way to somewhere far away. I mean, if you didn't, if you don't plan, if you're eating out because of poor planning, you're paying a huge premium. So you'll know, you know, you're eating out for the wrong reasons if you're eating somewhere and there's no ambience. You don't feel the ambience. You don't feel a connection. You don't feel, uh, if, you, if you're somewhere eating out and you don't lose track of time, you know, you know you are eating out for the wrong reasons. And, and I, I do want to say too, and like we always say, being frugal, being financially savvy, it, it, it involves effort. It's, it's not always convenient. It, it rarely is is easy it it does take planning but these i think i think are the make it or break it things that will will add up over time and and help you achieve your financial goals and we're saying you know rethink the status quo if you like where society as a whole is going and you're good with that path then maybe the status quo is for you but if you want something different than this than, than society as a whole then you have to rethink the status quo you have to rethink what general society is doing and, and carve your own path. Oh, I completely agree. So the second last point here of, of, of ways we can rethink the normal is the upgrade cycle. And this, my first thing that comes to my mind when, think, when I think of the upgrade cycle is, is the iPhone. You have to look at the, 
things in your life and assess what I call their functional utility, meaning everything you own, every object you own has, has a functional utility, meaning a fridge keeps things cold, a stove heats things up, a washing machine washes clothes, a cell phone, well, it does a number of things, but it, it makes phone calls, it, it connects to the internet. When your, your whatever is no longer meeting its functional utility, then it's time to move on. So you're not upgrading, you are replacing. So if you, if you apply that mindset to most of the things that you spend money on in your life, you will avoid the upgrade cycle. And the biggest one is cars. You know, I'm driving a, a car. So an older car, it, it will break down more frequently. That is what I call is, is an inconvenience. It's, it's not a problem. It's an in, and if you, may, if you are proactive, sometimes you can avoid those inconveniences. But it, it, it's far more expensive to, to upgrade a car unnecessarily than it is to continue to maintain an older car. Actually, one other, this is an upgrade cycle. I, you know, I just got a flyer in the newspaper on Friday. And I was looking through the Lowe's flyer and the Home Depot flyer. And the appliance, I can't believe the, the, the price of appliances, like fridges, stoves, washers, dryers, dishwashers. I know people that are upgrading appliances purely for their cosmetics. And, oh, and for sure. And while they're doing that, they're adding features on that they, they, while they're doing it, they're adding features on they may never use. So I know, I know somebody and a lot of people have these, they, they upgraded their fridge to stainless steel. That's a common, all, actually all their kitchen appliances to stainless steel. And I get that looks really nice, but the chances that, so they upgraded all their appliances. So a fridge, a stove, and a dishwasher. The chances are that, that all of those things stop working at the same time is zero. There's no, there's, that I, I can't, you couldn't convince me for a minute that all three of those appliances stop working at the same time. So one of them, one of them was acting up or stopped working and they replaced three. That is the upgrade cycle that, that I get that they, it looks nice. So you have to, I guess if that's important to you that you upgrade all three of these appliances, even though two of them are working fine and one of them wasn't. So that's an example of an upgrade cycle. Society wants you to have matching appliances. That's the status quo. And if you want to follow the path of society and and live society's dream, then you, you should replace all three appliances in your kitchen without question. But if you want something different than society, if you want early financial independence, then you should you should push back on the status quo. I don't care what society wants. I want to be financially independent at age 55 or age 50 or some number that nobody could comprehend except you. So that is an example where the upgrade cycle, I mean, it sounds trivial, but it's those kind of decisions that are going to make the difference. And I, I do want to, I do want to mention before moving on to the last point here is that I mean, like you said, those are very, very pricey, pricey pieces of, of kitchen, uh, kitchen uh, appliances. And they're not, again, I mean, maybe, maybe a pair of running shoes or, or even an iPhone be less of an investment than, than, than a large, very expensive um, fridges and stoves and dishwashers. So I think, I think it, it can kind of, we can kind of lose touch with, 
with how expensive keeping up the status quo and, and normal behaviors are. Well, do you know what happens with cell phones as a good example is, is they, the people that create operating systems and, and apps for these phones, they keep improving them to the point that, that the functional utility of my older phone, it, it no longer meets the, the, the basic need. You know, there's things it can't do because the advancements in, in operating systems and, and apps. So that's an example where you're actually, you're, you're, your phone looks okay and it kind of it kind of still works, but it might not be meeting its functional utility. That's an example where nothing's changed but the environment around you. And and the dangerous thing too is, I mean, I, I, a phone. I right now I have a, a work phone, which is is an uh, one model above my regular personal phone, and and one works is is a lot speedier because it's a, it's a model ahead, an iPhone model ahead than the my personal one. And and I'm I'm not gonna lie and say it has. I, I haven't kind of just looked at my my personal phone and decide and maybe thought is it time to upgrade because so I think the second we kind of get new technology or new anything into our hands whether it be a car whether it be appliances even just stepping into that environment and having something within our fingertips and within our reach is, is dangerous and it can quickly skew our vision of of a phone or, or a fridge or a car that is still working perfectly fine. So the very last thing in this list is uh, assuming you need to go to college or in this case, university as well. So this is a tough one. I, I, I'm a big proponent of post-secondary education, but you have to, it's really hard for a young person to figure out what it is they want to do in life. And as a rule, getting an education is, is never a bad decision. And actually, you know, the few things I would be willing to borrow money for I would be willing to borrow money for an education. But here's where it kind of falls apart. If you borrow money for an education, and, and let's just say you borrow a lot of money to get a really high level of education, and one of two things happen. You don't finish or you don't pursue that career path that that, that education was designed for. All of a sudden, you have this huge amount of debt and the the career path that was going to pay a handsome salary to extinguish that debt is never realized. Now you, you start life out in a deep hole. So I would say because it's our society. So the problem, let's just say you don't go to post-secondary education and you go out into the workforce and you assume some adult responsibilities in terms of financial responsibilities. It's really hard to get off that conveyor belt and back into the education stream it takes a lot of lifestyle adjustments that a lot of people aren't willing to do. So you end up stuck maybe in a, in a job or a career that you don't, you don't like because you never did go to school. So I have a problem with this one. I would say I would rather somebody throw a, a, throw a dart as a bit of a stretch, make a, a calculated decision about post-secondary education and go for it and hopefully you can not fall into the trap I described where you rack up a bunch of debt and you you don't have a career path that helps you get rid of that debt. So for me, I, I think getting some sort of education beyond high school is is pretty important for most people. And, and, and to expand on that as well, I mean, 
you might you might not go and you might waver paths. I mean, I, I did that myself. I, I I went to school for one thing and doing something else. It's still related and my education is still useful. And the beautiful part is you can always add on to that education to make yourself more employable. And so I think I am with you wholeheartedly that I think aiming in the right directions vaguely of, of what you want to do is always always a good thing to do. I, I truly believe. In this case, our society is dictating the credentials required to get a kid to get a job and you almost have to you almost have to obey the status quo if you hope to work in traditional employment a lot of times even if you don't think the education is useful it's required so unless you can find a workaround then great 30 years ago you could get a really good paying factory job with no education you're just a high school diploma I don't think a lot of those opportunities exist today. I'm not saying they don't, but there isn't many. So I, I think it, it's kind of, this is one where I think the status quo is you're kind of at the mercy of it. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of our, the eight quote unquote normal behaviors that we, that we engage in that if we were going to step back and rethink them, we could save an immense amount of money within the year and, and over the span of our lifetime. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any thoughts or comments on this uh, this week's episode, and if you have any other normal behaviors that you see happening in society that you think could be rethought and, and that we're just following along because, again, they are these quote-unquote normal behaviors, let us know. Send us an email to livelifesimple365 at gmail.com or head over to our website, uh, livelifesimple.ca. It is a contact submission form. And we'd love to kind of discuss them on upcoming webs, uh, upcoming podcasts. We can uh, can build this kind of eight list and build it bigger. Again, thank you so much for being with us this week. Episode 100 is coming up very soon. We uh, have something special planned for that. So stay tuned. And until next week, keep it simple.